there's more than just ion dipole, dipole dipole, and hydrogen bonds. It's also possible to have a nonpolar substance uh, basically forced into being a little bit polar. And if you take something that's pretty polar, i.e. it has a pretty strong dipole, and you place it next to something nonpolar, you can induce a dipole in something which normally doesn't have a dipole. So the next type of force we're going to look at here is when you've got something polar and it basically forces something nonpolar to take a little bit of polarity. Um, this is an important example for the fish. <laughs> uh, here's water, which is very, very polar, and it's getting really close here to oxygen. And oxygen has just two oxygens, so it's nonpolar. But if the water molecule gets close enough, it can induce a dipole. So all of a sudden now, oxygen is trying to shift its electrons away from the negative dipole of water. So oxygen ends up there with a positive dipole, that little delta plus, and there's more negative electron density, the delta minus on the far side. This is actually another kind of force, and it's important for the fish because oxygen normally wouldn't get down to the fish in the water, all right? Oxygen nonpolar and water polar, they don't usually get along. However, enough oxygen is polarized a little bit, if you will, by water, that it can actually then get the fish down to the water and the little fish can breathe. On average, the electron cloud of an O2 molecule is distributed symmetrically across the molecule. The molecule is not polar. A water molecule, which is polar, repels the electron cloud, causing it to be asymmetrically distributed and thereby induces a dipole in the O2. This shift allows O2 to be weakly attracted to the water molecule. This kind of force is referred to as a dipole-induced dipole force. And let's break that down. Dipole, like we talked about earlier, means polar. Induced dipole means that it doesn't have a dipole by itself, i.e. it's nonpolar. But you can induce, you can create a dipole in this nonpolar substance if you put something polar next to it. So dipole-induced dipole means something polar and something nonpolar together. And I want you to think nonpolar when you hear induced dipole, because you're having to make a dipole where one didn't exist before. Uh, no small feat. Oxygen in water is a great example. Also nitrogen in water. Anytime you have something nonpolar and something polar together, that's the dipole induced dipole force. This is another example. This is taking iodine and dissolving it in ethanol, alcohol, an alcohol, all right? And this is used sometimes in medical facilities. Now, iodine is nonpolar to iodine atoms. There's no polarity, no differences. Ethanol is very polar. Ethanol has an OH, which is actually one of the hydrogen bonding categories. So ethanol is actually pretty polar as well. You can induce a dipole in the nonpolar I2, and I tried to draw a little funny circle there to show it. Um, the electrons are trying to get away from, in this case, the oxygen on the alcohol. So it basically creates a slight positive charge next to the alcohol, and the electrons trying to get away from them uh, from the negative charge then creates a slight negative dipole on the other side. Remember how electrons trying to get away from other electrons? A lot of chemistry is about those kind of interactions. And in this case, that creates the 
dipole induced dipole force, but it does allow the iodine to dissolve in ethanol, which can be used for purifying things, stuff like that. An iodine molecule has, on average, an electron cloud that is symmetrically spread over each iodine atom. I2 is not polar. The attractions or repulsions between the atoms of I2 molecules can distort their electron clouds. Dipoles can thereby be induced momentarily in neighboring molecules. Two nonpolar species together, if you lower the temperature enough, can actually induce dipoles on each other. It's like they begin to get so close that they begin to actually then talk to each other, if you will, and it creates another kind of uh, intermolecular force. And this kind of intermolecular force is called induced dipole, induced dipole. And if you wish to abbreviate that as IDID, I totally understand and recommend it, actually. <laughs> anyway, induced dipole, induced dipole is the weakest of all the forces because making two things which are nonpolar be slightly polar, i.e. inducing a dipole on them, is pretty tough. And it's not usually something that happens real readily. So these are considered one of the weaker forces. But if you're going to take uh, something nonpolar and turn it from a gas into a liquid, you have to start thinking about intermolecular forces, something to make those gas molecules uh, tighter into a liquid form, and they feel it's the induced dipole, induced dipole force. Now, because this is such a weak force, there are several different names for it. One of the names is called London dispersion forces, and that's fine, or also dispersion forces is fine. I'm going to use induced dipole, induced dipole for my representation of it, but do realize it has different names. But the important part and the final part is that induced dipole, induced dipole is just what happens when two nonpolar substances come together. And again, this is where polarity now becomes more and more important as we go on in chemistry. In the flask is solid iodine. In the test tube is ice. When we heat the iodine, its weak induced dipole-induced dipole forces are overcome, and the iodine sublimes into the gas phase. The gas recondenses as a crystalline solid on the cold test tube. Solid iodine has an induced dipole, induced dipole force. Again, the only phase that doesn't have an intermolecular force are gases. So solids and liquids will always have some kind of intermolecular force. And because iodine is nonpolar, we would call that an IDID, induced dipole, induced dipole force. If you heat the iodine gently, it turns into a gas. And it doesn't take too much because, again, the forces are really weak. But in the middle there, they have what I've always referred to as a cold finger, all right, which is basically a test tube with ice. So the gaseous iodine condenses back to a solid in the middle, and this is a good way to purify your iodine if you need to. So you're basically turning the weak forces into a gas temporarily. The ice then uh, condenses the gas back to a solid. This is the sublimation process. Some substances go straight from gas to uh, solid and solid to gas. We'll talk about that more in a little bit pretty cool. The magnitude of the induced dipole, induced dipole uh, does tend to help to figure out if something's going to be more likely to make a solid or not. And again, higher molar mass will usually have higher induced dipoles, and that's kind of interesting. So if you look down there, there's a on the left-hand side, there's a series of halogens, F2Cl2Br2I2, and those are all nonpolar. And notice how the boiling points increase. So as molar mass goes up, 
the boiling point goes up too. And all of those are intermolecular forces, are IDID. On the next one over, you're seeing the noble gases, all right? And the noble gases, as they get bigger, it gets harder to make them boil, takes more energy. So little tiny helium with almost very, very small grams per mole, about four grams per mole, 4.6 Kelvin is where it turns from a liquid into a gas. So very, very easy to turn that one into a gas. But bigger gases then take more energy. So xenon has a higher boiling point. Krypton would be next, etc., etc. Of these four examples, which one would you expect to have the highest boiling point, all right? And really what it comes down to most of the time is that either the type of the uh, intermolecular force, that's number one, and number two is the molar mass, higher molar mass, higher, lower molar mass, smaller. Well, all of those are noble gases. So they're all induced dipole, induced dipole. They're very, very nonpolar. So what's not, this question is not about the intermolecular force, this one's about then the other part, the molar mass. And if you look on the periodic table, xenon is the biggest molar mass, about 131 grams per mole. So we would expect it to have the highest boiling point. It's going to take the most energy to get that larger grams per mole into the gas phase. This is a summary of the intermolecular forces we've seen so far, and there are other ones out there. We'll talk about those in a little bit. However, ion dipole, one of the stronger ones, and that's what's resolved. That's what's responsible for making like sodium chloride dissolve in water. All ionic compounds dissolving in water are the result of the ion dipole force. Remember, ion means something with a charge, something positive or negative. Dipole means something polar. Hydrogen bonding is a special form of dipole dipole force and hydrogen bonding only occurs when you have nitrogen oxygen and fluorine connected to hydrogen so if you have that then you have hydrogen bonding all polar substances when they interact with other polar substances at the very least have dipole dipole forces but if your polar substance has an n o or f connected to hydrogen then it gets the extra special hydrogen bonding and you get a little bit more bang for your buck dipole induced dipole means something polar dipole is next to something nonpolar something induced dipole oxygen in water nitrogen in acetone anytime you have something nonpolar and something polar together dipole induced dipole and then finally Finally, the last one, which one other name for it is dispersion, which is induced dipole, induced dipole, or the London force. Those are for just nonpolar species. So Cl2, Br2, we looked at the noble gases. Um, one more we haven't looked at is that if you have pure ions, so like pure sodium chloride, that's an ion-ion force. And also if you have a pure metal, like pure iron or pure chromium, that's called a metallic force. Those two forces we're going to consider to be the strongest force of all, all right? That would be even stronger than ion dipole. Those are mostly for solids, and here we're looking mostly at liquids and gases and stuff, but those are the same kind of things. Just realize that on the top, even above ion dipole, is going to be the ion-ion slash metallic force. We'll consider those two equivalent, even though that's not the best analogy, and we will talk about both of those forces more in the future. 
So this is the kind of question that you might see. When potassium chloride dissolves in water, what kind of intermolecular forces are observed or what kind of intermolecular bonds are formed? All right, and this is a good question. So what you have to think about is what kind of forces exist in KCl and what kind of forces involve water, okay? Well, KCl is an ionic compound. You can have positive Ks and negative Cl chlorides, right? So KCl is ionic. And water, as we've seen, is not only polar, but it has those special hydrogen bonds. So water polar is like a dipole. So KCl ion water dipole, you probably figured it out, this is going to have the ion dipole forces when they come together. Now KCl separately would be the ion ion force, which is something we haven't talked about yet, but we will, I promise. Water separately would have hydrogen bonding, but when they come together, the ion dipole force is what's going to rule this problem.